Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have. Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help. Are you ready for your session? The doctors are are in. Showrunners and writers of The Staircase, which is the new HBO Max true crime series. Maggie also won a Golden Globe for writing and producing American Crime Story, Versace, and she previously co-executive produced Narcos. Welcome to the show, Maggie. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get started with the obvious question, which is you do a lot of true crime. What drew you to that in the first place? Um, that is a good question. I think that um even when um, I'm not writing true crime or shows that are based on, um, you know, events that happened in real life, I've always found a lot of inspiration um, from historical research and, um, you know, doing deeper dives into, you know, primary sources for characters. So I think, yeah, innately, um, most of my work, whether it's, you you know, quote unquote, fiction through and through, um, is usually backed up with, um, you know, a lot of research, a lot of it. Um, and I think I, I have a background in political science as well. So I think for me, uh, the connection between, um, you know, what we experience day to day just as humans and what you see in my work is, uh, is it's a pretty direct and um, you know, forward facing connection. How long is the research process for like any of your shows? Oh, you know, as long as they'll give you really. (laughs) I honestly, I don't, I don't think the process really truly ever ends. Um, And which is exhilarating and also really intimidating. Um, I think you have to learn intuitively when you have to to stop the research and kind of take that leap into the water um, and create that character or that storyline or write the scene and trust that you have enough to go off of. Um, that being said, I think a lot can be learned as you're doing something, especially when, you know, the production process is as long as it was for a show like The Staircase, which was, you know, approximately seven months. Um, You know, I'm thinking specifically, we have an episode, the sixth episode that features um, a theory um, that's commonly referred to as the owl theory. And, you know, going in, uh, Emily Kazmarek, the uh, the writer of that episode, we you know we all had the facts, and they came from um, Larry Pollard, who was an individual who's been you know thoroughly invested in the Peterson case from almost day one. And then, of course, you kind of have to you know fact check it, like anyone, like any other theory or any you know any investigator into it. And you know, while we were fact checking it, we realized that some of the um, some of the key pieces of evidence could be interpreted in different ways. Um, it didn't make one interpretation wrong, but it definitely 
made a rewrite of the episode somewhat necessary. <laughs> um, and so that was done during production. So research wow. is ongoing. Yeah, that's <laughs> the short answer. But also, don't be afraid to stop researching and start writing. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, when you're working on something that's still a living, breathing thing, practically, you know, it's, yeah. it's, this is not like historical. This is like, this happened, you know, in the very last decade, you know, so. Right. Wow. I also think that research, I think it, like, I think because we're all like ingrained from school, like research is kind of this um, elevated or even something that you're, you kind of don't want to do in some cases. But I also think a lot of inspiration can just be found from opening up a book that has kind of nothing to do with what you're writing and, but perhaps takes place in the same time period. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be a work of nonfiction. You can learn a lot about dialogue and character and context from pieces of fiction that were written during the era, era that you're exploring within your show or your film. Mm -hmm. Going back cool. to what you were saying about facts and about interpreting the evidence. So when you are writing the show, how much are you allowed to kind of play around with it? Like, what are you allowed to change, if anything? And where do you draw that line between fact and fiction? Well, I think there's, I think that's a really good question. And I think it, initially, the answer to that question starts with how you decided to approach, um, uh, you know, recreating or being inspired by a real life event. And what are the rules that you want to establish? Do you want it to be a, a piece, uh, you know, a film or a TV show that, you know, your viewers go and they do research and they don't find any contradictions with what's online or, you know, in, you know, uh, in books or in other, you know, pieces of media that have been created surrounding the event. And then once you come up with what those rules are, then you have a legal department that tells you what you can do. Um, and it can, it's, it's a little bit amorphous. And I admittedly, sometimes um, it, 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 you feel like in certain situations, you're like, well, I, I can't quite understand why that's problematic. And then they'll explain it to you. And you just have to trust that, you know, in, in the case with HBO Max, um, you know, we had partners that wanted us to be as creative as possible and not allow, you know, the, the, the hindrance of legality to thwart like our creative measures. Um, so it's really two things. What are the rules that you create while for yourself in your approach to the, to the project? And then, you know, what are the more, you know, bureaucratic rules that you'll have to deal with? Um, and that's the order in which you need to approach it. Uh, in the terms of the, the, the staircase, because it is a series, a true crime series that is, you know, in investigating the actual genre of true crime, and we're using this seminal documentary as kind of our way into the story, we always wanted our narrative to be very much identified as a story. It is a creative impression of a situation of characters of real life people. And because of that, we, I wouldn't call it, we didn't take liberties, but what we did do is we highlighted the fact that even 
in every case that I've experienced when you're doing research about a project, you will always find contradictions, even in primary sources of the same event. And we wanted to highlight that space, that contradiction within our show. And you do that by presenting, you know, a piece of evidence that commonly you would think, oh, there's only one way you can look at it. But then what we did is that we gave our characters, we showed our characters and we showed our characters in certain situations where they were looking at the same pieces of evidence, but we saw that there was multiple perspectives on the same thing. And and none of these perspectives were wrong necessarily. And so I think a lot of people could be like, well, that's taking creative license. And what I would argue is that's just how life works. Um, so it is actually to my, from my opinion, like my, my perspective, a little bit more real because there's a lot of gray as opposed to it being black or white or yes or no, or solely about innocence and guilt. Ah, that's great. I actually am uh, just finishing up episode four. And there's, <laughs> oh, there, yeah. there's a lot, there's um, not to spoil it, but there's a line in there where one of the, uh, the, the editor, she actually mm-hmm. said, I can't remember her name, but she says something about um, how when one person looks at something and says, this is this, the other person looks at it and says, well, maybe it's the opposite. And it's, mm-hmm. it's literally what you're just saying there. So that's yeah, our so that's thesis really cool. episode. Yeah. We, it? Um, yeah. yeah, it basically common sense. Yeah, it's called exactly. And so we wanted to establish with the first three episodes, a bit of this mini arc um, that you kind of almost feel like it's more of like a feature film, those first three, if you combine them and then you go into your, to the, the fourth episode, which we knew we wanted to approach the fourth episode and make that the, the courtroom episode, but we had to condense so much time. And so it really was one of those episodes that we discovered that um, using the doc, using the construction of a documentary film within the visual language of the show actually enabled us to jump through time in the same way that you do in a documentary film. And so you also then have um, our, our editor, Sophie, speaking over the episode and we realized at the end of the episode that she's also doing an interview for a documentary film in the future, but that her answer to the question that's being asked in 2017 is actually showing is actually the narration for the process that's happening in 2004. (laughs) So it's a bit meta and layered, but it was this episode where we really felt like we could highlight the construction of story and narrative via this documentary, which shows the viewer, oh, these are this is how stories are construction constructed via docu- in a documentary, how they're constructed in a courtroom when the prosecution and the defense are both telling their story, their version of the events that happened that night. But then we'd encourage the viewer to take another step, which is to then view the process that you know Antonio, the director and um, the showrunner. Um, my my fellow showrunner, what we went through, and the writers to create the story that they're that you're watching today to be to realize that we were we made the same compromises, we made the same creative decisions as they're making, and then that's what now you're consuming. Um, so hopefully that yeah, I that actually <laughs> no, it's amazing. I, I was one of my questions was when you're plotting out a story, it's hard enough to do you know one story. And you know you're you're multiple you're you're you've multiplied that over and over again with weaving together the past, 
the event, the crime or the event, mm-hmm. um, the immediate time after the, 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 the death of Kathleen and then the, the courtroom and then the future, the future from their, their right. perspective, the 2017, you've got like a lot of different things going on and it's, it's uh, I don't want to say it's like, you know, Cronenberger kind of uh, <laughs> inception esque, but it, it is because, yeah, you get this um, different the perspective of not just from different people, but from different time periods, looking at things from, you know, after he's already been in jail and, you know, those sorts of things. How do you keep it all straight? Well, it's it was um it was a really interesting process and that's something Antonio came up with these timelines in the pilot and it was really, it was really incredible to explore them. And, you know, just for the sake of our writer's room, um, we came up with, we, you know, name them the past, the present, and then the future. And then what we realized is that, you know, as we're exploring the idea of time, because I think everyone brings the past to the present, right? We bring our own backstory to the events that we're experiencing currently. Um, You know, even this interview, I'm, you know, basing my answers off of interviews I've done in the past. I'm anticipating your questions based on questions I've probably received while, you know, still trying to be spontaneous. And, and then I'm also thinking currently, well, what's, how are people going to receive this interview, which is the future? And to me, that's really how people live life. And so to have these three timelines felt like a really interesting way to explore the human experience. And then the other thing about the timelines was essentially the past timeline that starts in in September 2001 and allows us to really fully develop Kathleen Peterson as a character, as our impression of her. Um, It takes us all the way to where the present timeline begins our, our season or series. So really the timelines act as a circle in that sense. There is no beginning and there really is no end to the show because the ending of the show brings us back to the beginning. So the ending Whoa. of the past timeline brings us back to the present timeline. <laughs> that's, my, that's my mind being blown. So I don't know if that helps explain how we kept track of it all. The how we kept track of it all was a little less romantic. Um, and it was my office in during the pandemic. And it was hundreds and hundreds of note cards. And literally just having note cards that were different colors for each timeline and putting them up as you would any kind of, you know, quote unquote, conventional episode of television. And since we decided not to rely on um, stylistic, visual stylistic um, deviations within the timelines, meaning one timeline isn't shaded a certain color to make it stand out from the other one, we really wanted our episodes of TV to read like it just a, an episode of television, meaning if you read, if you removed all of the dates that you still felt like it, that it could work. Um, obviously there would be some continuity contradictions because Kathleen is no longer with us in two of the timelines, but we kept talking about the idea of energy and using the, the energy from one timeline to flow into the next one in just the same way that you would do sequences of a linear television show. Um, so it, it was a really, you know, it was a risk, um, to do it that way. Um, 
It works but, well. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I actually actually told Roshni this that I was watching an episode. I can't one of the early episodes, and you literally have a ca- a character walk across screen, and it you you're you're just yes, wiped yeah. right into the right into the different timeline. It's it's so seamless that it really combined it all together nicely. Right, and I mean, oh, oh good. <laughs> I'm glad you guys think so. But actually, that's a great that's a great segue because. I understand you are a co-showrunner. So how does that work divvying up the duties? Who does what? It's actually really easy. Um, because uh, Antonio was directing um, the majority of the episodes, it's just essentially, you know, kind of acting as the showrunner while he's directing. Um, <laughs> and so, and while we had a visiting director come in, Lee Janiak, who directed our fifth and our sixth episodes. So, you know, I basically prepped those episodes with her and, you know, and, you know, had, you know, you do the, the bits of show running that aren't necessarily as fun, like, you know, keeping track of the budget, um, making sure you can, you know, make you could your schedule works we had 14 um days per episode and so uh, production days per episode and we had really really ambitious scripts um a lot of characters a lot of locations and you know you only have so much money so you know it, it was kind of like the it, when when we went into production it became a more conventional distinction um prior to that it it was it was pretty natural um you know antonio is wrote the pilot and created the show. Um, and then I guess my role was coming in as someone with a lot of television writing experience and, you know, specific to true crime. And so I, you know, with his kind of um, initial instincts, we were able to shape this, the, the entire season. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I have, a, uh, I had more experience with the idea of, you know, the, the bigger picture. Um, and then of course he, you know, we, it, we, they're just a, it was a very easy relationship creatively. We thought very similarly about a lot of things. And we also weren't afraid to debate um, elements of the show. And I, I you know, I, I can't really fit. I'm, I'm like, as you say that, I'm trying to remember exactly how we resolve debates, but I think it typically was, we kind of, they resolve themselves almost because I think the answer would become apparent as soon as it needed to really, if that So it wasn't rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) I mean, at times it may, it may have come to that, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, no, I mean, but yeah, I I think uh, things outside of your control begin to dictate the show. You know, you will write a location and you might debate whether or not, Oh, should we set it here? Should we set it there? But then you're on location scouts and you discover, Oh, that location simply doesn't exist. So yeah, we are going to set it here. Um, so <laughs> I think I think that's another way that a lot of decisions are resolved is just based on necessity as opposed to creative uh, instinct. Um, which, yeah. <laughs> Being for HBO Max, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is technically a streamer, but it's also a cable network. You know in a limited series, it was written all ahead of time, right? Before you started production, it wasn't like overlapping production and writing kind of thing. Or oh was no, it? that was, that was the goal. Um, but that I was writing on set. Yeah. So that was the, other, oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, um, n- no is the short answer, but 
in an ideal world, oh yes, <laughs> you should have. We have this idea effort. with streamers, yeah. We have this idea with streamers in these shorter runs where, well, they must write it all and then go film it because you know the it's it's kind of like you know you're not having to do that weekly you know crunch kind of like oh we got to get the episode out kind of thing. So you think you have all this time, but maybe you don't. So. I think it really depends. I think I think there is not a one size fits all approach. Um, but I do I do believe that uh, that you you want to get as much done before production begins, um, especially when you know you're facing COVID. Because I got you know what happens is COVID uh, hiatus they happen um you can't put your finger on when those are going to happen but when you build a schedule over seven months you do try and strategically put in some hiatuses so you can edit so you can um you know uh, prep without production kind of and in our case our hiatuses got eaten up so what that be so that's just my way of saying i encourage everyone to get as much writing done prior to production while knowing that once you enter prep and production that the 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 limitations that you know present themselves to every series will inevitably arise and that you just still need to have that creative flexibility to rewrite something on the fly like i was referencing before if you get to the location (laughs) And the location is not exactly how you envisioned it in your head because you're not psychic. Um, you're going to have to change things. Um, and on our case, it, we were we were still writing um, once we we got into production. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I again would encourage everyone to get as much writing done before they start shooting. <laughs> <laughs> well. Maybe if, you know, we have another global pandemic, that'll give everyone some time off to, like, hammer out those words, you know? Monkeypox. Oh, oh, I heard about that. I was oh, like, no. no. I'm Not never going to see another human being in my life. I'm going to be alone forever. But we'll get so much writing done. It'll be great. That's what I thought. Right, exactly. So, Maggie, let's take it all the way back. You mentioned you have a background in political science. How did you go from poli sci to being a showrunner? <laughs> well, I also, so I actually, I had a background. Yeah. So I majored in political science um, and I also majored in film production and theory. Um, and that, ah, interesting yeah. Combination. Yeah. So, and they, it was always, I, I think a lot of what I attempt to do is I, I do believe that um, uh, life imitates art and art imitates life um and i think there it's it's interesting um the moments in our history where one of those comes to the forefront whether it's art or life and for me it's always been um important and inspiring to find ways to combine um you know the theoretical um with which is you know the you know, film, whether it's film theory or political theory, and then to um, manifest those theories in a more visual medium. Um, so uh, it was, it was really to have those two things in my background, it almost made one made the other easier, and because it made the other one feel more relevant, um, whether that was political theory or film. And so after... Did you have any like role models? Um in the genre i mean it's it's interesting i studied a lot of uh documentary filmmaking um 
in college, which, you know, I think what is what naturally brought me to the staircase um, was being a fan of that, of that documentary, which came out after I graduated. Um, but Errol Morris was always, I, I found him to be really interesting. And I, I also just uh, read an interview with Alex Garland that I also very much related to in the New York times. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily consider them role models other than people or in terms of Errol Morris, but like I always, instead of role models uh, and trying to emulate someone, I kind of viewed them more as people that I could point to, to prove that what I wanted to do was the natural extension of the medium or that the envelope that, you know, people are afraid to push has, has already been kind of done before and that it worked and, it's worth, you know, again, taking uh-huh. a risk, um, which is, you know, what we did with the staircase, you know, the true. Did the staircase come to you as um, I mean, like, do you watch the news and do these things like, oh, I want to do a thing about that? Or how, how did this come to you like uh, as a project? Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting because people were asking, they're like, oh, were you following the case as it was happening? I was like, I don't think I was. And then I realized that I I had uh, moved to Spain around the time that the the tragedy occurred for for school. And so I wasn't in the U.S. when it was happening. And then I was in school. um, And uh, so my first exposure to the case was via the documentary. um, And they were showing it on the Sundance channel at the time. And it was just fascinating to see, you know, the, the longest documentary I'd seen up until that point was Shoah, which is, I think, about six hours long. But this was longer, and it was a documentary that was episodic. So the structure of it was, you know, kind of, it was very much different because you have cliffhangers, you have the three-act structure, four-act structure within the context of each of the episodes of the Staircase. And then you have to put those together for to view those in its entirety. So it, it, the staircase to me functioned much more like a narrative um, kind of chronology as opposed to a documentary one. Um, and just, it was, it was just very compelling material and it was fascinating, you know, because you've seen, you know, Aramore, the thin blue line, which was an interesting investigation into a case and very different than the staircase. And then there's murder on a Sunday morning, which was um, the, Maha Productions uh, Oscar winning documentary, uh, which was about a case in Florida where they really follow um, the defense team, uh, a public defender, uh, following like a very almost, you know, in terms, it was kind of almost like a black and white injustice, um, you know, perpetrated against the defendant um, by the prosecution. And then you have something like an American family, which is following a family, and, you know, that's kind of one of the, another seminal documentary where a documentary team goes into a family environment. And for me, the staircase kind of like combined all these things. Um, and it was just it, it fascinating to watch. And what was interesting to me is I found a lot of my friends that, you know, weren't into documentary films being very compelled and drawn to the staircase. And so that's how I was introduced to it. And then, you know, years later, um, Antonio and Anna Perna, the production company um, and producers of it, they approached me and because each of them individually, we had tried to work out on projects to get work out projects together and it hadn't worked. 
and that this was the project that um, kind of where all the pieces fell together. Um, wow. Yeah. So we started off with a mini room and we wrote the first four episodes or Antonio and I kind of like broke the outline of the entire season. And then we um, wrote the first four episodes and that's when we got the green light from HBO max to write the back half of the season. Um, so that's kind of the short answer to how the story is. <laughs> this is a contained series. So it, it's not mm-hmm. like you can do a second series, um, but are you, are you talking to, I mean, I don't know if you can tell us like what you're working on next or <laughs> um, is this going to lead to other crimes that you want to investigate? Um, absolutely is the short yeah. answer. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, keep it short. But okay. I want to keep investigating <laughs> these and crimes through a different lens though. I want to keep like the staircase kind of push the idea that there's a singular truth and answer. I want to continue, you know, using the true crime genre, um, to bring people in, but then also then give them something different than they necessary that they, than they were anticipating. Um, and so, yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple really interesting projects that will hopefully come to fruition. Cool. Any <laughs> advice for the aspiring true crime uh, screenwriter? Yeah, I mean, uh, things they should look, look at. I'm like, oh, don't take advice. No, um, <laughs> no. What the my advice would be, um, yeah, I mean, don't be afraid to put, you know even if it's like a well-known, you know, crime event, uh, person, um, to not be afraid to put your individual stamp on it, um, to, to, to not think that what you find palatable and appealing actually isn't what people like, that is the very thing that people are looking for. Um, and that in doing that, I think, it adds another layer of humanity to these events that sadly, because they are tragedies, they do bring us closer together. Um, and so I think in putting an individual mark on something that is shared by the, the collective, it isn't something to avoid necessarily, um, if, if that makes sense. It does. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so God. Much. <laughs> <laughs> so, if people want to find you, Maggie, how can they find you online or on social or anything like that? Oh, that's a good question. I have a very limited social media presence, which would be my second piece of advice: <laughs> so, <laughs> focus on writing. No, <laughs> oh, no. Um, I, yeah, no. I have a, I have a pretty pretty limited social media presence, so it might be kind of hard to find me. <laughs> but it's good. It, it sounds like a challenge. No, I know. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Guess what? It's boring. It's not worth looking for. <laughs> Just watch the TV shows and the films. <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much for being on the show, Maggie. It's been a pleasure. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. So everybody, make sure you check out The Staircase now on HBO Max. And... I forgot what we don't said. Do, don't do any crimes because you'll wind up on Maggie's, uh, Maggie's call sheet. Yeah. Oh, That's one way to find me. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, w- at WG Therapy and at writersgrouptherapy.com and uh, stay out of trouble. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>